This podcast discusses content that may be triggering for some listeners. Please be advised discussions include gambling language, types of gambling, and addiction. Hello, and welcome to the Hidden Addiction Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the New York Council on Problem Gambling. Across New York State, we have seven problem gambling resource centers dedicated to connecting individuals to care. We're here to increase awareness about problem gambling and advocate for treatment and support for persons adversely affected by problem gambling. Gambling is defined as risking something of value on a game of chance for a desired reward. Problem gambling or even gambling addiction can affect anyone at any time in their life. It might not be talked about or even overlooked because it often can be easily hidden for a long time. Our hope is this podcast shines a light on problem gambling and we can share resources and information to help those who need us. The views and opinions shared by guests may not reflect the views and opinions of the New York Council on Problem Gambling. This episode of the Hidden Addiction Podcast may contain sensitive topics or sensitive materials. Please use your discretion when listening. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Hidden Addiction Podcast. Joining me today is Dr. Paulette Ogilvie. Dr. Ogilvie, thank you for joining us. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. And Colleen's going to be joining us as well. Colleen, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks, Jeffrey. Awesome. So, Paulette, we, we were just talking for a couple of minutes and we we're just going to we're just going to kind of jump right into it because we started having such a great conversation. We <laughs> could just hit record and, and just start chatting. Um, and just the information that you were sharing was so, you know, it, it's so thought provoking. How did you get into this line of work? Like what attracted you to um, the casinos and the environmental impact, the social impact? How, how did you get your start with this? Okay. Well, thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Colleen, for having me. So it, it's kind of a crazy situation. My mom had a stroke and I accompanied her to a casino, the casino here in New York. And while I was there, she wanted something to drink. And I walked out. And as I was walking out, I noticed a gentleman going over the escalator and he was committing suicide. I had no idea. I've never seen a person commit suicide in my life. And I was just stunned, flabbergasted. And um, yeah, I, I, it just took me by surprise. At the same time, I was pursuing my doctorate degree in human services. And I had a class where I had to write a program. And I'd put all the work into this gambling preventions program, problem gamblers preventions program, I called it. And when I was done with the program, a 56 page program, I said, I'm not going to let this data go to waste. And I turned it into a dissertation. So that's how I got into, into the problem gambling, understanding it, understanding um, the move from DSM-4 to DSM-5, understanding the ills of problem gambling, and also Suicide is one of the largest um, outcomes of problem gambling. Actually, it's the highest in the country. Um, suicide rates, it occurs more with problem gamblers than it occurs with individuals with other issues. Absolutely. And it, that's, I mean, it has to be shocking to, to be in the casino and to see something like that happen. And as you mentioned, it does, problem gambling has the highest rate of suicide of any addiction. So it is something that um, you know, every time we talk to people, and I know Colleen, when you were taking calls and stuff, we hear about that impact on, you know, just the families, on the individuals. Um, do you, so when you're, do, as you're doing your dissertation, did you focus on the, the, the social impact, the environment impact, the, the negative um, consequences of gambling? 
And then we'll we'll also talk about some of the positives for the community and stuff. But Absolutely. when you when you were looking at those things, kind of uh, what did you find? You know, and if you could give us a real quick, in your opinion, how do you define problem? Go ahead, okay. Paula. Okay. Yeah. So um, my first dissertation was on problem gambling in older adults. You go into a casino in the daytime, what do you see? Older adults, um, non-working adults, uh, retired adults, um, disabled adults. And so I talked about it with some of my colleagues and like, why are these people here? At the time, I think they had like benefits and perks. I think they, they still do have them. So um, they're coming here because it's it's to socialize. Okay, so they're socializing. It's fun. They meet their friends. It's something to do. It avoids the boredom. And so, however, that dissertation was sort of parked because it was more psych focused. It dealt strictly with problem gambling. And I could not have used problem gambling, but I had all the data and the knowledge. So problem gambling, if we define it, it's any activity that's beyond moderate gambling. Um, that includes maybe two or three types of gambling. So you could be doing casinos, uh, racetracks, scratch-offs, lottery, all in the same time. And you could also be doing it every day or at significant times. You could do it five times a month, one time a day. Then that that desire to gamble just increases and increases. And then if you make a big win, you you say, oh my gosh, I've won, I've won, I've won. And then you keep going back. So it appears that the more they win or the more individuals win, it's the more they go back. And then the chase begins. And before you know it, it's become an addiction. And I think that's one of the reasons why it was moved from an impulse control disorder in the DSM-4 to an addictive disorder in DSM-5. Absolutely. So, and when you're talking about the lottery tickets, the casinos, the problem gambling, when in your research, did you find any correlation um, between where, you know, the concentration of lottery tickets might be or the location to the casino. Uh, we always hear about if you increase the accessibility of an activity that could be addictive, more people run into a problem. And of course, I, I'm coming from Niagara Falls, right near Niagara Falls. And back in, uh, must have been 20, 2002, I don't even remember when the casino, it's been here, it feels like my whole life. And you know, the research shows that you usually see a problem increase. Mm -hmm. And is, is that what you found? So what the research has shown is that um, casinos, racetracks, are typically placed in um, environments or neighborhoods that um, are low income neighborhoods. And I'm looking, you know, just looking around New York City here. Or a casino is placed in an existing place where there's already a culture of gambling. And consequently, all the stores around that era will sell lotteries and scratch offs. So it's usually concentrated in in these areas. So if there's a culture of gambling and these new found casinos that we have coming up, racinos, they just attach them to a racetrack. The culture is already there. So it's acceptable um, in terms of in terms of where they're placed, in terms of the concentration. I, I don't think you can go two blocks in New York City without finding a, a place to buy a scratch off or a lottery. Every gas station has got them. Most supermarkets have them. The corner stores have them. They're on every corner, every block. They have the little kiosks that you can buy them in as well. So they're definitely, there's definitely a concentration of those types of gambling, those modes of gambling, the scratch offs, the lotteries, 
etc. So they um, they know where to put them, I guess, right? They know where to where where to place those casinos. So since we're talking a little bit about casinos, um, placement of casinos, there's kind of seems to be a shift between where casinos are are being placed, right? So. I know in the past there's casinos were, especially when you talk about long time ago with Atlantic City, Las Vegas, Vegas the destination, yes. right? But now it seems like they're plopping casinos down into more urban environments and just, I don't, I don't know, is like you were saying with the yeah. Yeah. culture, is that what, is that kind of what you're seeing? Is so, that you know, my, my, my published dissertation is on casino proximity in urban areas. So this is right in my wheelhouse. Awesome. So we look at uh, the Northeast is my region. So we look at from Boston to Washington, D.C. Let's stop it at D.C. There are tons of casinos, but they're really concentrated in three areas, New York City, Philadelphia, and Baltimore. And those three areas uh, by themselves are, are up in the top I think in the top eight ranks in the revenues, um, according to the American Gaming Association for 2022, I think it is. So why are casinos coming closer to urban areas? They want to keep the money in-house. They want to keep the money in the city. Atlantic City, you're going to Atlantic City as a tourist. They've Whomever it is, the government um, or the powers that be realize that we can keep the money in-house. So let's legalize the casinos to come closer to communities. So we keep our monies in house. We're gonna provide jobs for the communities. We're going to help the schools um, and we're gonna build the communities. But the question is, are those factors uh, sustainable? There's been no research to support that at this point. Yeah, and you mentioned the, the revenue coming into the state. And I think we saw that with COVID. Um, between 2019, 2022, especially with sports betting and the mobile aspect of gambling, the mobile aspect of sports. What, so with doing some of this research on casinos and casino gambling, the next one of the next things that is coming down the line in New York State, and it wasn't in the budget this year, but I think at one point it was going to be, is the Las Vegas style casino gambling on mobile devices. And when you were talking, and we talked about the three A's and even the fourth A, which we'll get to, um, what do you, I mean, as someone who's done that research, when you hear that 85% of the population has a mobile device, and now there's going to be Vegas style casinos on that mobile device, what does, what does that tell you? Like, where, where does your head take you with all that research you've done and the problems in the environmental? Now you don't have to go somewhere. It's going to be in the living room. I mean, on the subway, in the car, in the living room, the revenues are going to be um, tremendous. However, are there any uh, provisions in place to help when these individuals, you know, run up a hundred thousand dollar tab and lose their home and their cars? So we're bringing the casinos and we're bringing the entertainment, as it were, um, because now it seems like socialization is not a big priority anymore especially post-COVID, so now it's entertainment, how are we going to help these individuals stop? Okay, let's stop. This is our stopgap. This is our point. We're only going to budget to here. Or if an individual really becomes a problem gambler, how are we going to help? Is there, uh, is there um, a mechanism in place at the same time as we're bringing the, you know, the Vegas style to the, to the mobile app? Is there a mechanism in place? Do, have you heard of that? I have not heard of that. 
how are we cope? How are we going to cope with this? You're right, and one of the one of the things our organization is trying to do is, um, you know, be ahead of it, not be reactive like with the opioid crisis. It's kind of get ahead of this before mm-hmm. it's before it it hits that rock bottom where everyone has to wake up and say, oh, wait a minute, we should have saw this coming. Um, fortunately, we have a lot of people advocating on that side of it. But so if we could, let's let's back up just a little bit, and I want to ask you about the accessible the acceptability, right? Yes. And when we're talking about mobile devices and the advertising that we're seeing, and and let's talk about young people just for a second. Um, I have a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old, and they're, I mean, my daughter walks through the parking lots on the way into a store on her phone, phone. <laughs> just oblivious to the world, but there's constant bombardment with advertising and all this, this casino stuff. That's a type of accept- acceptability and also accessibility that we've never seen before, right? So uh, acceptability, um, gambling became acceptable, you know, it became acceptable after governments realized we can make a lot of money. Um, we can move gambling from being associated with crime and, and bad people and the mob and the mafia, and we can make it become a, a form of entertainment. As you know, a casino gambling has outranked every form of entertainment um, right now. So with moving, legalizing it and making it more acceptable and glamorous, um, or we say sexy, um, it's more acceptable. So the individual who would say, I would never go to Atlantic City is now going to Atlantic City, pulling up in a Tesla and going through the private doors. So it's very acceptable. Um, Does acceptability mean that it's a good thing? I'm not sure about that. And in terms of accessibility, I think is where we're headed now. It's more accessible than ever. First, it's in the destinations. Now it's in the cities. Now it's on the mobile devices. When is the accessibility going to pause or is it never going to pause? And as you indicated, with the influx of um, advertising, there's a ton of money in gambling advertising. It's not supposed to be. You should be going into the communities, but there's a ton of money in gambling advertising. I'm not sure how this is working, but it's so commercialized right now, it's almost like there's no way to stop it. And if there's no way to stop it, how are we going to prevent, treat, intervene with problem gambling? Absolutely. And so when we're talking about with the acceptability, accessibility, the increase in that, um, the people can have problems, the, the casinos, the gambling activities are being placed in areas with a gambling culture. Let's shift a little bit. What kind of impact could that have on, say, the community? For example, the police department, or just what kind of environmental impact happens? If if I were to take a casino, for example, and put it right in the middle of Times Square, um, and that's, you know, that's being tossed around. And I was just in Times Square a few weeks ago. I I took my son and his girlfriend and we hung out and, you know, there's, there's enough that goes on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. already. Okay. In oh, some yeah. What do you, what do you think of that? What, where, well, you, what do you see? You took your son and uh, from what I've heard and read, Times Square is like a Disney, you know, the Disney of New York is sort of a family friendly. When you place a casino where kids are not allowed, it's no longer family friendly. Okay, then also let's talk about just the surrounding of Times Square. So we have restaurants, shows, entertainment venues, hotels. 
when you place a casino in the middle of Times Square, it's going to compete with all of those businesses. <clears throat> so that's the first thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but then we have the access is so accessible. It's so available. Every subway in New York City <laughs> runs into Times Square. And then you have the Metro North, the Long Island Railroad, et cetera. So then we're readily accessible, readily available. That's going to draw a lot of people, a lot of individuals from every strata. So then we're going to have possibility of crime. We're going to probably have possibility of prostitution. Remember, we had those peep shows back in, in the days in Times Square, it's mm -hmm. a possibility that could come back. Then we're going to also put a pressure on our legal system and our police system. Um, we're just going to always have to have um, the police officers, the EMTs, there's going to be traffic, sidewalk traffic, foot traffic, peddlers, everything. Those are not the, the best things for a casino in Times Square. Because those are, but those are just the, the fundamental ills of having a casino in Times Square. But then if we look at the positive side, it's a beautiful building, probably more than likely, it's probably going to be beautiful. There will be jobs. Um, there will be some sort of cross-marketing between some of the other businesses. Uh, you know, there would be some community sort of redevelopment. And hopefully they'll have a strong problem gambling um, program in place inside of the casino. So. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it, it's it's a mandate, actually, but doesn't always work that way. So you mentioned jobs, and I'm glad that you kind of touched on on jobs. And in this, you know, may not be something that your research has shown you. But when a casino is coming into an area, and I know in, in my area, the, the Buffalo Creek Casino opened, re, you know, fairly recently, I'm not, you know, the Niagara Casino opened a while back. But we heard a lot about the jobs that are coming, all about the jobs and the impact on the community and the growth. Is that something that we are actually seeing for the community? Is this increase in jobs? And for example, um, you know, I, I lived in Manhattan for a few years. It's very expensive to live there. Um, so, you know, there will probably be people commuting in if it happened to be in Times Square or something versus living right in that area. What kind of job growth do we actually expect to see in some of these areas where they're talking about putting the casinos? The new so one. the research shows that there will be jobs, but they're not sustainable. That's what all the, the empirical research of the literature, academic li literature shows. So let's talk about the casino and the jobs. The construction jobs will be there, but are they going to be hiring locals to do the jobs? Will there be a diverse workforce, workforce to do this job? Is this also going to help these individuals? Will they be, be paid prevailing wages? So these are some of the things. Then we talk about once a casino is built. So there will be construction jobs, but construction is only going to be for a certain period. Then it's over. Then we're talking about running off the casino. So you will have the exempt, non-exempt, full-time, part-time, et cetera. Most of the time when a casino comes into a, a neighborhood, and I don't know about Manhattan because it's a little bit higher priced, you know, higher end, um, the, the jobs are usually given to, to individuals at the low, lower socioeconomic level, the cleaning jobs, um, these types of jobs, the individuals who are working in the restaurants, dishwashing, preparing the foods, although I'm not saying that those are the worst jobs, but the, the, those are the jobs. And then the higher jobs, the management positions are slated for individuals coming from 
New Jersey, Long Island, Connecticut, the educated individuals. Will there, so will there be some kind of job training? Will there be benefits? Are they going to be unionized? There are all these things that we don't know. We are not sure um, if these things are going to happen. But there will be jobs. The question is, will they, the jobs be sustainable? If the casino is doing okay for the first three years, three to five years is where you kind of see the, the uptake. Okay. According to this theory of um, the exposure theory, once a casino opens, it's it's you know it's in the environment. Everyone's excited. We all want to go. Everyone wants to be there. So there's going to be, and it, particularly in Times Square, you will have a little bit more traffic, um, particularly in the summertime because it's a high tourist area. But if um, revenue drops, foot traffic drops, those jobs are also going to decrease. I see. So. <clears throat> And I'm glad you mentioned like the family friendly part of, um, you know, certain areas. And do you, I wonder if we're going to see like a negative impact on the on tourism. There's there's a lot of people that are not attracted to casinos and gambling. Uh, I've never myself been to Vegas. I really I would love to see the lights and the shows and all <laughs> of that go along with it. But I, you know, so much of it is the gambling portion. It just kind of, um, you know, it turns me off to the whole idea of going to Vegas. I went to Atlantic City once when I was like 21 years old, just because I thought it was, I should, and it was cool, but I, I had a miserable time. Um, okay. Is there a negative impact on the area when it comes to, um, if, do you think there would be if, if a casino moved in somewhere where it's a touristy area? Could it could it impact that family friendly to the point where it might have a negative impact? Well, um, yeah. To to go back, uh, maybe one or two questions. When you said your daughter walks into the parking lot, the store with the phone, one of the studies or a few of the studies indicated that children who are on apps all the time and in gaming consoles, and they're buying the buying the in app, they're doing the in app purchases. That's the beginning of gambling. <laughs> So studies have shown that. So it's not uncommon then now there, there's a casino in the neighborhood. Oh, let's go try it out. Let's go hang out. Let my friends and I go and have Starbucks because they're going to have a Starbucks. They're going to have all the beautiful places. Um, it probably will have a negative impact, particularly if it's a family friendly environment and or tourist environment, only because of the crime that may come about because of this the foot traffic, it could increase property values, it could decrease rent stabilization. I mean, there are just so many factors that we don't know, because again, there have been no studies done in New York City. And I don't believe there's been enough of a study done in Philadelphia for me to make a comparison, um, because there's no other place like New York City. There's definitely not. <laughs> you know? Um I have just just a quick, uh, I guess, hypothetical type of question. More so, if you had all the funding in the world, um, what type of research or what do you think, like, like how much more research do we need to do on these these impacts of where we're putting casinos? Like, what would you focus your efforts on? Um, so I would definitely look at all the socioeconomic factors definitely parse out all the, the different areas. So in, in New York City, as an example, we have five five bars and within each bar, we have you know different levels. I would definitely like to look at all the socioeconomic factors, also look at the various bars 
and also measure the proximity, who's going, why are they going, the motivation. So it would really be a huge study. It would have to be like a mixed method study. So we're doing qualitative and quantitative um, reviews. I believe you have the data out there that you can get to do secondary data, but without talking to the individuals themselves and really understanding why do you gamble, why are you going, what's happening, how much are you losing, if they're willing to tell you, um, you could make a better, you could get a better understanding of, is this worth it? Um, where are we with and problem gambling measuring? Is there a way to measure the level of problem gambling? We're getting data from places like Gamblers Anonymous, but are we getting enough data? Most of this data is self-reported and with self-reporting, there's always a little bias too. So um, you can't really measure it. But I think we need to just study what has happened since New York got this casino, what could happen, compare it to other other cities. And perhaps it's a longitudinal study. Maybe it's a study over 10 years. Yeah, we, we very lightly touched at the beginning on um, sports betting, mobile sports betting. And the casinos were the first ones to offer sports betting within the casinos in New York. And then we talked about revenue. And the number uh, the amount of revenue popped into my head with the mobile sports betting. And then you mentioned when we were talking about Vegas style casinos on mobile devices. I mean, there's so much money coming in and, you know, we're talking about a, a research study, which we, we, uh, you know, especially in the nonprofit, it would cost a lot of money to do that. But when you're taking in, you know, $2 billion in revenue, there's probably could be money out there to do a study like that and really find out what that impact is. Because I, I think you're, you know, the important thing, and I think what we're getting at is, is making sure that the help is available in the right places. Correct. Correct. That the help has to be in the communities that need the help. The help has the to, most. and it has to, it has to fit the community. Um, you know, not everybody seeks out help the same way. Not everybody accepts help the same. That acceptability isn't acceptable in some in some cultures and neighborhoods. So. Um, is there, as we kind of wrap up here, is there, was there anything that really was an eye opener for you that maybe we haven't touched on that you came across or that you saw something that really, other than, you know, the terrible experience in the casino, you know, which kind of got started, but is there something that you, you can share with us that, well, we can take with us at the end here, Paulette? So, yes, I, um, when I look at what I started in this problem gambling field, um, you know, I got challenged by, by some folks. What are you doing? I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> but as I when I after I graduated and I started to do more research, and I think something clicked for me coming out of business um, and then going into this human service area. Why did um problem gambling or pathological gambling, now problem gambling or gambling disorder, move from DSM four to five as an addictive disorder. But it actually was a very good thing, I believe, because now it's covered by insurance. As an addictive disorder, it can be covered, which makes it more, again, commercialized, which is good. Um, secondly, I noticed that in the schools and universities are now including addiction and they're now formulating these centers of excellence around problem gambling. It's that we're not there yet, but we're getting there. 
because no longer is just substance use disorder a problem. Problem gambling can co-occur with substance use disorder. Nine times out of 10, it does. Um, so I'm seeing that we're, we're making a lot of progress. In New York, we have the prevention certificate. We're adding the, the gambling to it, which I think is also good. So we are, as a state, I believe, are making excellent progress. Um, like you said, casinos are going to be here to stay. Gambling's going to, and actually, Dr. Lisa Leonore from <laughs> Rutgers Center said it, the casinos are going to be here to stay. So, and they will be here to stay. So, however, I think there's going to be a fourth A. That's what's standing out to me. The affordability. You put a casino in Times Square, it's going to be all the bells and whistles, the glitz and the, the glamour. It's supposedly um, Rock Nation has a little piece of that. Yeah. So you can understand what's got to happen. So who's going to be able to afford this? So will casinos of the future become something that only a certain sector or a certain individual can afford? That's my question. <laughs> That's my closing. Definitely. Thank you. And, and we, I, you know, I want to thank you. Um, you're, you know, we, all of us working with problem gambling, gambling addiction, you know, we have people working on the front lines directly with clients. We have people doing awareness. We have people doing advocacy. And then there's people doing research and, and getting that data together that can be used to really help drive those services. So that work and that work you're doing with, with, you know, so I don't love doing research. I did in college, when I took social statistics, I loved it for the, the semester. But on my end, it's more of the awareness, the prevention, and we all play a part in that. So we do want to thank you for the research you're doing and will continue to do. We want to make sure we stay in touch because if there's anything that we can help you with, we, would, we would love to be a part of um, making sure that the services are in the right spots. Absolutely. And the right services are available. So I thank you again. Colleen, did you have thank anything you. to add? Thank you. No, I just want, I mean, I think Paul, you gave us a lot to think about. Um, and uh, just a final note to anybody listening, as always, um, nyproblemgamblinghelp.org. If you or someone you know is struggling with problem gambling, or you just want to learn a little bit more about what problem gambling is and what services we have, make sure I'll, I'll link it in the show notes, but it will be there. Mm -hmm.